bowl. It's, a, it's the tradition, it wasn't around when I was a kid, but it's the tradition of taking a photo of your child on their first day of class. Anybody seen these? And then you take the photo of your child on their last day of school, and you can sort of see, see all the ways that they've grown up over the year. It sort of puts an image right in front of you of a collected a collective year of growth right there on the screen. Though I gotta tell you, some of my favorite photos now that we live in the digital age are photos that are now emerging of children on their first day of kindergarten and on their last day of high school, right? And you can see how this little one who was five years old has grown up to be this adult. Though I got to tell you, I've often wondered, I wish the parents would have taken a photo on the first day of kindergarten and then on the last day of high school. And then we can really see how people grow, right? How our hair turns. All right, I won't get into all that. The reality is our lives are, are holy and they can sometimes feel like they're ordinary. I think the reason that we take those photos is because I think deep down, deep down in our bones, we recognize that all of life is holy, and yet it's sometimes fleeting. We take those photos because we know over the next 180 days of school, our children are going to grow and we're going to miss it. We're not going to see it happen in small ways. But we want those photos to remind us that it did happen. Uh, our scripture lesson today, um, we're going to read two passages um, about holy transitions in the life and the lives of the disciples. The first um, scripture that we're going to read is when the disciples are called by Jesus. It marks a holy transition in their life. So think of it as the first day of school photo. Listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day from Matthew's gospel. As Jesus walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him, and he went from there, and he saw two other brothers, uh, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father, Zebedee, mending their nets, and Jesus called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And then we're going to turn to Matthew, the 26th chapter. This is uh, roughly three years after that very first moment. This is a moment of holy transition. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. He gave it to the disciples, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. 
I tell you, I will never again drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Remind us, O God, that you hover here. You hover in this very sanctuary, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. So we ask that you would create afresh and anew this very morning, that you would reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words, that they would be your word to us here and now. And we pray, O God, that you would breathe new life into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts, that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I thought I had planned for everything. I spent the uh, day before and the night before Olivia's first day of daycare packing every item on the list. Extra bottles? Check. Extra change of clothes? Check. Extra set of extra clothes? Check. (laughs) Diapers? Whites? Check. I got to tell you, it felt like my first day of school. The morning that Olivia was set to go to the early learning center, I was up before the alarm clock. I uh, went in and I got her ready. We took our time getting ready to go to school. I drove super carefully across town. I got into the parking spot. I lifted her up and I walked her in. We were greeted by Miss Lucille, who I talked about last week. Uh, She was the receptionist who was more than a receptionist at the Early Learning Center. She was the chaplain, the therapist, the greeter. She said, oh, good morning, sweet Olivia. Don't you look cute in your new outfit for your first day of school. Olivia was three months old. (laughs) I held her right in front of Miss Lucille. I was a proud papa. But Miss Lucille could read it all over my face. Oh, Dad, you're going to be okay. (laughs) It's going to be hard. But you're going to be okay. We're going to get you through this. Why don't I... Why don't I walk with you to the classroom so you can drop Olivia off? We walked down the long hallway all the way to Olivia's classroom. I was not letting her go. We were greeted warmly by both of Olivia's teachers. And Miss Lucille said, okay, Dad, it's time to hand her over. So I did. Olivia went right to them. She didn't shed a tear. I, on the other hand, was trying to hold it together. I said my goodbyes. I gave her a hundred kisses and a hundred assurances that I would be back that afternoon to pick her up. And Miss Lucille walked me back down the long hallway and right to the exit, giving me a pep talk the entire way. (laughs) We will feed her. (laughs) She will nap. 
We're going to read her so many books. She's going to be so happy. And here's the deal, Dad. If we need you, we will call you. They have these things called cell phones, so don't you worry. I did a really good job of holding it together until I got to the car. I opened the door, I got in, I put the key in the ignition, and I lost it. I started crying like a three-month-old Olivia. So I began to drive around the neighborhood on the way to the office, and I, I called Sarah. She answered immediately. She said, did everything okay? Everything go okay at drop-off today? And I said, yeah. Yeah, it went fine. She said, Matthew, are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. She said, wait a second, are you crying? I said, maybe. She said, that is so sweet. I said, do you know what you just made me do? I dropped her off to complete strangers. I mean, they're not strangers, but do we really know them? And then Sarah started with the pep talk. It's a great school, Matthew. Lots of people send their kids there. And look, their kids turned out fine. I said, wait a second. You knew this was going to happen, didn't you? This is why you went to work early and made me take her to school on her first day. She said, maybe. I said, you set me up. She said, yeah. I look back on that day and I can laugh about it now. But the truth is that was a big day for our family. It was a big day for us. It was a, it was a, it was a day of transition. It was a seemingly routine drop-off. We've all done it. It's what I have come to call a holy transition in the life of our family. Because uh, as a family, we took a collective step into the unknown. We uh, walked into a new way of life that would require us to live into a different level, a different kind of, of trust, of faith, of love. Looking back on it, I can see it so clearly now. That was a, a moment of holy transition. Our scripture uh, passage today highlights um, two holy transitions in the life of the disciples. The first one is a transition of what I call a, a, a transition into the possible. It's a, a transition for the disciples in, into a new adventure, a, a new way of life. Jesus comes and finds the disciples going about their ordinary, everyday lives. And Jesus calls them from those lives into a new life, a life of discipleship. And that transition, I have to imagine, was marked by some anxiety, but also a lot of excitement. The disciples don't know what's going to happen next, but they trust it will be good. And so they drop their nets and their lives. They drop their lives as they know it. And they take the first steps into a life of discipleship. It's a holy transition that marks a new journey for them. 
Our second passage that I read from the 26th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew also marks a holy transition. But it's a, a transition that is marked by grief. You see, this will be uh, the last meal that the disciples will have with Jesus. In fact, it's among the final moments that they will ever have with Christ in bodily form ever again. It's a transition that all of us will face. That is a, a transition in life with someone that we love and care about, walking them, holding their hand as they live their final days. Those moments can be uh, so hard. They can be sad, they can be, uh, they can be difficult. And yet I also wanna say those moments can be utterly holy. You know, our lives, all of our lives, are full of these holy transitions. And I believe that we're hardwired to see the holiness in the midst of our lives, especially in the big moments. But holy transitions happen all the time in uh, the seemingly small moments of life, like uh, when you do drop your kid off at school for the first day or the hundredth day, or uh, uh, when, when you start your first job, or when you graduate from high school, or when you graduate from college, or when you embark on a marriage, or you go on that first date, or when you lock your office door for the final time, and you take the first steps into retirement, or when you uh, show up at the hospital and you meet your grandchild for the first time, the first time that someone's ever called you grandpa or grandma or papa or nana or whatever they call you. Or when you journey the final days at the hospice center with a friend or with a parent. Oh, those are holy transitions. Those are moments that reveal that all of life is holy. You can see it in that moment. As a pastor, uh, you allow me to have a front row seat in your lives. You allow me to see the holiness of so many of your lives. For instance, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, um, I did a wedding here at Preston Hollow. I married Caroline and Trent Stevenson. It was right here in the sanctuary. It was on a Saturday evening. It was beautiful. But you should know that it was the same weekend. Caroline and Trent got married the same weekend that Caroline's parents got married over 30 years prior. Right here in the same sanctuary. It was a moment of holy transition Julie Livingston sat right there on the front pew just as her parents had sat there over 30 years before. John walked Caroline down that long aisle. I was standing right there at the end with Trent. When Caroline and John got to me, Trent stood right next to John. 
And in a seemingly ordinary act, John turned and kissed Caroline on the cheek. He took Trent by the hand and gave him a hug. He pivoted around Caroline's dress just like we had practiced. <laughs> and he sat right next to Julie, his beloved of over 30 years. And Trent's parents sat right here. And we watched Caroline and Trent as they took those first steps into a new way of life, into a new way of living, into marriage. It was a holy transition. Our lives are full of them. Our lives are full of them. Some of them are, are big, momentous occasions like weddings. But some of them are journeys that seem so ordinary that we could skip them like bedtime prayers with your kids, or t-ball practice, or a study session, or the, or the weekly phone call that you have with your kids who live all over the country. But the truth is, some of these holy transitions are journeys that we would never choose for ourselves. You see, the disciples weren't ready to say goodbye to Jesus. They weren't ready to have the Last Supper with him. The truth of the matter is, we're not ready to say goodbye or to walk with the people that we love toward the end of their lives either. We're certainly not ready to walk with them towards the end of their memories. Those seasons can be hard because we love them so much. But I believe even in those seasons and on those journeys, we could see the holiness that has been present my, uh, I have a friend, Steve Eason. He's also a Presbyterian minister. And Steve's uh, mom had Alzheimer's. And several years ago, Steve and his family made the, the really hard decision that his mom needed extra care. And so when they moved to Charlotte, they moved his mom into the Presbyterian home in Charlotte, Sharon Towers. Uh, the first month that Steve's mom was a resident at Sharon Tower, Steve would visit almost every single day. And every time that he would visit, he noticed that there was, a, there was a man and a woman who would sit out in the hallway. The woman would sit in a wheelchair and the man would pull up a chair and sit right next to her and just hold her hand. It became clear to Steve that the woman had Alzheimer's and the man was there to visit. Every time Steve came to visit his mom, he saw this couple, the man in the chair sitting next to the woman in a wheelchair. They didn't talk. He never saw him say a word. But the man always had his hand on her lap, holding her hand. She would be in the wheelchair staring off into space. No eye contact, no conversation, no connection. But he would have her hand. Every time he would visit, there they would be. So one day, Steve walked over to him. He had seen him a hundred times. He said, hey, my name is uh, Steve. My mom moved in down the hall a while back, and I, I just got to say, every time I come to visit her, I see you sitting here. It felt weird for me not to at least introduce myself. 
The man said, well, my name's Bill, and this is Lucy. Steve, we're actually members of uh, your church. You're a Presbyterian minister, aren't you? And Steve said, I am. He said, we're members of your church, uh, but we haven't been to church together in a really, really long time. You see, Lucy, her health declined several years back, and so I'm here every Sunday with her. Steve said, yeah, probably sitting here holding her hand. He said, yeah, I spend a lot of my days sitting here holding my Lucy's hand. Steve said he tried to say something pastoral in that moment. He said, Bill, you know, it must be really hard for you to come here every day knowing that Lucy doesn't remember who you are. Missing a beat, Bill said, yeah, but Steve, I know who she is. I mean, we did say, preacher, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. Showing up every day for your beloved, even when they have long forgotten who you are. Showing up every day to pull a chair next to a wheelchair to simply hold hands and to walk your loved one's final days on this earth. That is a holy transition. It's a holy transition that is beyond any words that we could muster up. A holy transition that reflects a lifetime of holiness and love. Friends, our lives are full of them. Our lives are full of these holy moments that make themselves known in seasons of transition. And they bring us joy. They can guide us in sorrow. So do not miss them. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to every day of your lives, for that is where holiness is played out. God has woven holiness into the very fabric of creation. God has woven holiness into the very fabric of our lives. So do not miss it. Oh, do not miss it. Let us pray. You promise us in the pages of scripture, O God, that there is no place that we could go, not even to the depths of shale, that you would not be there. For you have promised us, O God, that your love would never be separate from our lives. Therefore, all of life is holy. We ask that we would have eyes to see it. That we would recognize the very breath we take now is the holy gift that it is. So be with us on this journey of life and faith, O oh God. And awaken us to your spirit. 
For we do pray in your holy name. Amen.